And we're back for another episode of Engineer Your Career. The story today is an unconventional one of a young Joe Dammel getting a bachelor's degree in environmental engineering before pursuing a Juris Doctorate. While he was studying in the beautiful UP during his undergrad, Joe focused on international engineering projects and on studying climate change and public policy. He was president of Engineers Without Borders and did his senior design in Santa Cruz, Bolivia through the International Senior Design Program. It was during this time that Joe caught the legal policy bug. He was not so interested in how companies complied with the laws, but why they did. This led to law school and a joint degree in public policy at the University of Minnesota. After graduating, Joe got a job at a natural gas utility working on regulatory issues. After about a year, Joe moved on to the Minnesota Attorney General's office, where he advocated for residents and small business ratepayers before the Public Utilities Commission. In April 2019, Joe took his current job as a staff attorney at the Minnesota Pollution Control Agency. There he gets to work with scientists and engineers on a daily basis covering the air and remediation sections. Joe, welcome to EYC. And here we are, next episode of EYC. Everyone, thanks for listening. Got Brennan on the line. Brennan, how's it going, man? I'm here. I'm here. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's, it's a time of transition. Uh, hopefully, big news coming up in, in an episode or two. Wow. But uh, big things happening. Big things happening in, uh, I would say, my home. But it's not even my home right now. So, yeah. Dude, that's exciting. Well, we might finally have the Brennan Timrack episode that everyone's been wanting. No one has asked me about it, it but I really want it. No one is asking. That's true. It's been a year. We did years like right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. We we might do mine sometime. It's been a year in the making. Maybe. Yeah. So it, it better be epic. Ho- hopefully the teaser here is epic. Anyway, so life transition, big, big changes, thinking about doing something different in that. Um, the, our guest today, Joe Dammel, really excited to have him on the show. Joe, thanks for being here. Yeah. Thank you both for having me. I'm excited to talk about uh, yeah engineering and why I don't do it anymore. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What, what it's like to, to be an engineer or be, be a person who's not a practicing engineer, but has an engineering degree. Um, mm-hmm. for those listening, we had a similar episode with Meha. I can't remember the episode eight or nine. I don't remember, but Meha, look at, look into it. Went into marketing. Um, Joe today is going to take us a different way. And so Joe, we might as well start off uh, with you, I guess, getting us going on where you started and then we'll obviously get into where you are now. Yeah. Great. Have a degree in environmental engineering from Michigan Tech, and uh, I think I'll probably start way back in childhood. And um, both of my parents are engineers. My mom's mechanical. My dad's electrical. And I always thought that I would—I don't think they pressured me, but I, I, I always kind of assumed that that I would be an engineer. Hmm. Uh, that was what I told people uh, growing up that I'd be doing engineering. And I think I didn't envision myself as an, as either a mechanical or electrical, nothing against, against those, but I wanted to do something a little bit different than my parents. And I really love the environment. And uh, I remember growing up, even reading a teenage mutant Ninja Turtle book about acid rain <laughs> and leaded gasoline. And, and it was probably late eighties, early, early nineties vintage and the whole the ozone layer and 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 all of those kind of uh really big environmental problems uh, at the time and so i i had a, a a career path to do engineering i remember in high school i stopped uh taking a foreign language after sophomore year because I, I knew that michigan tech you know you didn't need uh more than two years uh for for engineering and nice. <laughs> And I wanted to do environmental engineering because uh, of my passion for for nature and the environment, and 
And yeah, so I, that I guess gets me through through high school and, and into freshman year. At, so you at, knew uh, right Tech. away Michigan Tech. It sounds like I mean you were already planning to go to Michigan Tech. That was a, your main choice. How did that come to be? Did your parents go yeah. there? Or did you have another connection? Uh, I had no connection to it, and I didn't really know what the UP was, the Upper Peninsula. I, I grew up in Minnesota, so not not too far away. Uh, but I remember I was looking for I was looking for a school that had environmental, and I wanted a a specific environmental engineering degree and not a civil with an environmental uh, concentration. Looking back on it, I, I kind of, now I know that for most programs, you know, it just, it's dependent on the professors and the classes that are offered and that there's not really a distinction between a, getting a civil engineering degree with an environmental focus and, and what I got. But, but I remember for some reason, it was really important to me that, that I do it an environmental engineering degree. Can you elaborate yeah. a little bit more for me on that? So, so you mean in retrospect in industry, the the view is the same for the two degrees like there, or I guess, what do you, what do you mean by that? Yeah, I, th- I think that's, I mean, I guess I'm not really in industry, so I, sure, I, I sure. don't know, but I, sure. but, but from your perspective, yeah, yeah. Looking, looking at schools like, uh, the university of Minnesota or university of Wisconsin and, uh, places that at least at the time I was looking had civil engineering degrees with an environmental concentration. You know, I, I don't think the classes that I ended up taking at Michigan Tech were that, you know, substantially different or, you know, that the career options that I would have had would have been any, really any, any different. Gotcha. That makes sense. I think that's a very interesting point too, of also just, I mean, as hard as, as as well as you can when you're in high school, but like looking at the type of the number of faculty and what they're studying in that department, um, can, cause that's usually, it's for sure a big indicator of this very specific classes that you are able to take your junior and senior year. Like if, like once you get through your gen eds and you're picking your specialty classes, if there are faculty in the department that are researching in certain areas, for sure, there will be content in those areas. Um, it's kind of what mm-hmm. I'm, it's my, my experience as well. So, Yeah. For sure. And, and Michigan Tech still has a really great environmental engineering program. And, and, you know, that's probably the overarching thing is that they, I like the classes that they were offering and I like the access to, to Lake Superior and, and getting to do a lot of the really uh, Lake Superior focused research. I, I worked for a professor uh, looking at the carbon dioxide CO2 flux related to, to climate change on Lake Superior and uh, we got to go out onto the onto the lake a lot for for classes, and so there were a number of factors that that led me to to Michigan Tech. But first and foremost was just the environmental engineering uh, degree that they that they offer. Gotcha. So you get on campus, you know, you do your first couple of years of geneds and stuff. I guess kind of talk us through um, how your transition went through tech. I mean, what what were some key moments that kind of aligned you to your path now for sure, um, but um, other things that you think might think of interest for those listening. Sure. Yeah. I, I remember being very, so I guess going, going back to high school for, for a second and, and, and my experiences there, I certainly liked math and science, but you know, my, my best grades were in English and, um, and, and history and, and I scored better, you know, on, on my ACTs and in like English and reading. And so getting, getting onto campus freshman year, with, you know, to, to generalize the, the population, Michigan Tech math and science overachievers uh, was was intimidating. I, I, I still have 
nightmares about calc three and you know realizing that i didn't have that i was enrolled the entire semester and and didn't realize it until finals and and um the first couple of years i, I think were, were difficult um i i got decent grades but i, I didn't feel like i was really excelling or really feeling it comfortable, I guess, with college. And I think that's probably normal for, for everyone for a number of reasons. But as soon as I started taking the degree specific courses, so getting into surface water quality, air quality, uh, wastewater, uh, and, and taking the more advanced labs, by that time I had my core group of friends from you know, both from the dorms and also in, in the de degree program. And, and then, you know, my grades shot up and I think my interest level shot up and, and I really, I, I remember feeling like I picked right, I guess, when I was in, in high school and, and wanting to go to Michigan tech, wanting to get the environmental engineering degree. Uh, and I guess, ironically, that was about the time that I decided to go to law school <laughs> or to, to look, to pursue that pretty seriously. Yeah, for sure. When so when did you when did you realize that that was an option for you? Yeah, I remember I, I did a co-op at an oil refinery uh, sophomore year. So I, at the end of end of the fall semester of sophomore year, I I came back home actually and did a six month co-op at a refinery and in their environmental and health department and and I think. That was obviously the first time I'd had experience working with environmental regulations and, and laws and working for a company that whose main job, at least my job, was to comply with them and using engineering as well. But but it was really heavily focused on regulatory compliance. And if, and I, I remember working on some some problem that, that they were having and and thinking to myself, well, I can understand now how a company is going to comply, but I didn't really know why uh, they were having to comply with these regulations. I wanted to, it really interested me to, to, to dig in to the regulations and, and the laws and to figure out, you know, what, why a standard is set at, a, at the level it is, the process that you have to go through to do that. And, and then the, the back and forth between industry and government to you know submit test results to to get reports then to to communicate and i remember i got back onto campus the next fall and started researching law schools it no one in my family has is a lawyer and it wasn't really something that i had seriously considered to that point uh, but i but i think i started to realize that you know, my main strengths and interests were uh, both in the environmental realm, but also uh, in kind of the, the the legal arena as well. So I, I started to pivot my studies and the things that I was doing at school to get ready for, for law school. I think that's a really interesting point is that you after your sophomore year, so you weren't even fully like deep into the engineering part of it. And an internship is what caused you to like, want to pivot and change course. 
And I think for, for anyone who's listening, who, who still has an opportunity to, to do an internship or to get some experience while you're still in college, like that can be the most eye-opening thing for you, whether that is, uh, we've heard from people who decided something they didn't want to do through an internship and change course than engineering. But like what you did in engineering internship led you to see something that you might not have, you might've only read about in a textbook and some maybe environmental ethics or law or some, some overview in college, but instead like you got that direct experience in it. And that really led you down that path. I think that's a really important thing for, for people to think about is all these experiences that you get before you even graduate can really help define your path forward. And that's awesome to see that, that, that led you down something that you were probably more interested in than the engineering aspect of it. Yeah. Yeah. And what I like about it is it, you described it as the how and the why. Like engineering is how you do it, um, but what what you were exposed to or what you were had the opportunity to realize was possible is getting on the why side of it. The why are we doing this in, in the policy side and setting that. And I think that's super important to, I mean, kind of realize maybe engineering can be on the how side. It's how things get done. You know, it's not necessarily on the why side. I don't know. I'm just brainstorming. Everybody, I mean, even thinking about with Meha and the marketing example, like, why are we making the product? Why does it have to have these specs um, so people will buy it? It's it's an interesting perspective of um, engineers on the how side, but you can still use engineering to go to the why side and 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 learn there. Um, so that's really great, Joe. You know, so so you come back and you, and you said, okay, I'm going to start getting ready for law school. Um, what specifically did that mean? What did you change the classes you were planning to take? Did you go talk to a different advisor? How did what did that mean for actual changes? Yeah, that's a great that's a great question, and and I think one of the f- considerations too that that Brennan, what you said, uh, sparked in in my mind was was I guess the decision to continue doing engineering when you know, pre law or political science or or something else is quote unquote more more traditional. So and it's, and I think that also gets gets into uh, Troy's question too. And, and what did I do? I, I remember sitting in my small studio apartment that fall uh, researching what, what even, what, what the steps were to, to get into law school. I, I, like I said, wasn't considering it, didn't know anyone who had gone that path. And so I was researching uh, the test you have to take the LSAT and figuring out what that meant, if I actually wanted to devote months and months uh, into studying it, and short answer is I did, and I'm and I only took it once, and <laughs> that would be my recommendation is to tr- try to try to do well on it, like any test, so you don't have to take it again. Um, I I remember enrolling into an intro to legal careers class, and that was kind of a seminar where where we had different attorneys come in who were practicing in the area and you know, it's not a very big area. So there aren't that many, that many attorneys, but we had, I remember we had uh, exposure to some some attorneys and got to ask them questions. It was really entry level, uh, re- really introductory stuff. Uh, I pivoted in terms of my research into looking at uh, climate change and public kind of public policy and, and the law uh, in the natural resources uh, policy program. And I, so I worked with a professor who researched there and I wanted to, and I talked to her about the fact that it, you know, I wanted to get an engineering degree, but 
wanted to advance to law school. And she uh, worked with me to, to expose me to research opportunities that, that fit my interest in, in energy and environmental law and policy with uh, the work that she was doing. Uh, so I spent a summer doing, and I don't know if they have it now, and I don't even really remember the name of it. I think it was SURF. Summer Undergrad Research Fellowship, I think. That's right. Yeah. But, yeah. Essentially, the university sponsors undergraduates to do research in the summer. Um, so yep. your university, if you don't go to Michigan Tech listening, probably has some kind of similar program. But Yeah. And I think, and I think that, that it was a great experience, especially leading towards some sort of a graduate school and getting your feet wet on the research process. I included in that I was transcribing interviews from forest service managers. So it's not, it's not, wasn't the, the sexiest summer, I guess, in terms of jobs ever, but, but I think it, it did open my eyes to, to the, just the academia and and the research process and, and some interesting issues with the law that, that I wanted to get out of it. So I took my, my regular stable of environmental engineering classes, but tried to find research opportunities or take some, some classes that, that related to, to law. And then, and also just did research on, on law schools and tried to study for the LSAT and, and, and all of that. So there was a little bit of a shift, but, but by and large, I kept kind of doing, doing the engineering stuff. And I don't think I really fully considered not being an engineer I remember people asked me, well, why are you still doing this if you want to go to law school? And and my thought at the time is the same as my thought now. And, and it's just that engineering teaches really critical thinking skills and problem solving. And and it's just a, a great education in that. And I really wanted to to get that skill set, that that you know, those tools in my in my toolbox. And and I'm really glad that I did because it's helped me every day. Uh, of my career since then, even though I never never worked a day as an engineer, uh, I'm really happy that I that I have that degree and that that mindset. Uh, and it also helps me in my job today talk to engineers and scientists, and I can usually decipher what the problem is and and, and meet them at least a little bit toward halfway uh, on some of their issues. So I'm happy that I that I stuck with it and and had a really fulfilling time for the the remaining two years at, at Michigan Tech. Yeah, I imagine being relatable to the people that, that that you're working with in some in some aspect makes that a lot easier. Instead of just being seen as this is the lawyer person who does lawyer stuff, it's no, it's Joe who who can actually understand engineering with us and can can go further in that, especially in the in the area that you've decided to to be practicing law in. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think we've just seen this before. Like the skill set you're learning is is universally applicable in a lot of ways. Yeah, and I you know so one thing I haven't. We haven't, I guess, added as a bullet point on the advantages of an undergraduate education that I think I'd put up there now is also your ability to interact with other engineers. Like, so, I mean, whether it's hanging out in the dorms or, you know, being part of labs and stuff like that, you interact with a bunch of other people who are very stereotypical engineers and you learn Mm -hmm. about their personalities and you learn about their quirks and you learn how some of them may say things that are very direct and you might take as offensive, but are actually not offensive because they're just engineers and they're just being direct. And like these, like all these, like weird social norms of engineers. Um, and you learn about that, and it 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 does help. I'm um, kind of, I guess, a similar like to 
to become part of that community. And as Meha mentioned in her episode, it gives you some street cred, even though, I don't know, maybe that's, you know, I don't know if you look at it like objectively, like, well, I, you know, I took some classes. I never really right. practiced it, but it's, it's different. And it's, you know, for some people that are looking for, you know, as people, as you know, the, the community type humans, we are, we want to find community. And if we see people who have another degree like ours, we instantly feel community with them. And mm-hmm. that's not a bad thing when they're people that you're interacting with. And, um, but it's an interesting thought to put on as a, as an advantage of doing engineering undergrad. If you do something else, it's like, well, it helps you understand what it's like to be an engineer so that you can appreciate maybe someone on the other side of the table from you. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. So I guess help, help us, you know, Brennan, I obviously really don't know this process as well as you, but help us walk through what, what the process looked like the last two years in terms of you studying and then how early before you graduate, did you have to take the exam or how did that all work? Sure. Let's see. I took it and, and I don't, I can't really, really remember you have to take the LSAT within a certain period of time between the time that you apply to law school. So you couldn't take it. You, you couldn't have taken it 10 years ago and apply this fall. So I took it my last summer uh, at, at Michigan Tech. I graduated in December of 2008. And so I took it in September of 2008. And remember that I... I took an online course. I was back in the cities and in Minneapolis that summer. So I took uh, actually an in-class course to to study for the LSAT that summer while I was working uh, for an engineering consulting firm. And because I, it's still, it's, and I, and that's actually uh, a firm or at least the, the type of job that now I see the reports coming in for, you know, it was, groundwater sampling and, and soil sampling. And, and, and so getting back to Troy, your point about the street crowd, like I, I had, have worked with some of the people uh, that, that now I now interact with at least uh, and at some level uh, when I was 20 years old and, and studying for the all set in the, in the company truck uh, during breaks. <laughs> and yeah, so the, the all set is a really difficult it's a weird test. There's a lot of logic involved. There's reading comprehension. Uh, I think engineers would be good at a lot of it, especially the logic ones. It's kind of like the the problems where you know, there are five seats at the table. If Mary sit next sit next to Larry to the to the right, but Frank can't sit, you know, to the right left of Larry. It's like those types of things where you have to game out what's what's logically possible. So that, that appealed to the engineer in, in me, but it's also a lot of reading comprehension uh, and, and, other, and other things, and, and it's time, so it feels like it goes by in an instant. Uh, I took it at Michigan Tech, and there were some people who I had taken that intro to law class who were in it because there, there were maybe a handful of people, if that, who, who were in the class, and I suspect that they could have been from, uh, from other parts, areas nearby. Um, so took that in, in September, got the results back, uh, like six weeks later and, and you get your score and, and for law schools, the score and your GPA are the two most important indicators for where you get to go in because it's, uh, a really like a numbers driven admissions process. And there's no adjustment for going through an engineering degree with, with your GPA, <laughs> although I wish there was one. <laughs> Um, so I graduated 
that that December and then uh, basically started looking and applying to, to schools that that fall uh, as I was moving out to, to DC for that that six month uh, gap between the end of undergrad and the start of law school. Got it. I guess you, you took the test and everything and, and like you said, numbers driven to where you get to go. What what were your important factors in picking what law school you wanted to go to? Uh, I imagine I imagine that probably tied closely with your interest in, in environment, what you're doing now. But uh, yeah, what kind of what kind of factors even go into that? I, I don't know anything about picking a law school or or where how to even go about that. Yeah, no, that that's a that's a great that's a great question. I certainly the number one thing was whether they had a good environmental law program. And there are subsets of of rankings that that look at program specific uh, schools and I'm trying to think the when I was looking, there were smaller schools in upstate New York, Vermont, and in Portland, Oregon, that were almost uh, exclusively kind of tailored toward environmental law. And and now I see a lot of people who, who went to those schools practicing in environmental law. And so it's no surprise. And I considered all of them and I think visited two of the three. I visited Vermont Law School and, and Lewis and Clark in, in Portland. And I also had on my list uh, a, a group of law schools that were a bit larger, but but also had good environmental law programs. Uh, basically, I, I had a, a nationwide uh, search that had environmental law up, up on the list, the location, you know, looking at living in Vermont or, or Portland or Boulder, Colorado. They'd all be great. And then almost as an afterthought, I applied to the University of Minnesota. It was my hometown school. And I think part of the reason I didn't go to the University of Minnesota for undergrad was it was the hometown school that my parents both went to and and I wanted to get away. And so I think I still had some of that uh, mindset with law schools, even though the U, the University of Minnesota is a really great law school with a really great environmental law program. And so I was choosing between five or six schools and the University of Minnesota won in part because I emailed some of the environmental law professors just to see, to kind of explain my situation that I really wanted to do environmental law. And I'm thinking about which law schools and, and, and I guess basically why I should choose the University of Minnesota. And, and, and they both, the two people I emailed responded with really good points about the fact that you need to be a really good lawyer to be a really good environmental lawyer. And, you know, I get a good education at any of those schools I was looking at, but uh, I think I'm really happy with the choice I made to go to the university of Minnesota and they helped it. The professors I had talked to, uh, I then took classes from them and, and sure enough, like, you know, it's really important to be a good lawyer before you can be a good environmental lawyer, because a lot of the things that we deal with, aren't strictly environmental law. It's really interesting, Joe, because it, it, I think back to this and I think through a lot of our conversations with people about picking grad schools and I mean, even undergrad. And I think it's okay for people to realize that you can get a great degree from a bunch of different institutions. I think, like, I think it's, it's true. Like we have a lot of great universities that do a lot of great things and put out a lot of great students. It can often be personal choices and even just random selection and things. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. Um, you know, and I, I think 
you can you can look at different ways you know if you, you it's it's likely you'll have a selection of a lot of good universities and so then it's looking at other things like when we talked um, to people who got their MBA about like okay well was the networking going to be a big advantage or what were what are some of the other things that I'm going to take away you you start to look at the degree as okay um, to your point make sure it's a good base of law or whatever the graduate degree is but then okay what are the other things I'm going to try and gain from this degree while I'm there is it going to be in an area I'm going to like because if I'm happier then that's that's going to make me happier while I study and I think those are all really good things to consider um, when just thinking about the idea of how do I select it's okay well you know it's almost making sure you consciously acknowledge what the other benefits you are trying to get from the degree are and so it sounds like you were able to do that and get some questions answered too, even just emailing the faculty, which is great. I'm glad that they're, I'm not surprised. I mean, I think it's good, but I'm not, you know, I think that's, if you're listening, that's a good approach too. If you, if you see some faculty that are of interest in the place you want to go, email them. I think that's a great idea. Okay. So we get to the Twin Cities where we're back home. We started, we started law school. I'm just curious, how, how did it start? You know, you're going from this engineering undergraduate education where it's, Hey, here's, here's equations. Um, you know, we're in chapter one, we're going to learn the, the, the derivation of this equation to get us this simple equation, which then we're going to apply in the homework. And you're going to have 10 homework problems. And that's going to be the class to grad school, which is different. But uh, yeah, I guess, help us help us understand what that transition was like. Yeah, well, I, I talked about how fish out of water I felt in, <laughs> in my freshman year at, at Michigan Tech. And, and I felt the exact same way at law school. And law school, it just works differently. You don't have, you aren't great at anything except the final in most classes. And so you have no idea how you're doing compared to anyone or even how you're doing yourself until the, until January. <laughs> and the way it works at most law schools is for the, it's kind of like engineering. You have your general courses so contracts, constitutional law, torts, property law, and you take them with the same cohort of people, and it's kind of like elementary school, maybe in that way that that I've that I went through every class my my one L year, that my first year in law school with the same people, and they're some of my best friends now, uh, and I think in, in in large part because of what we had to go through that first year, the classes are structured differently. In most classes, you read 30 to 40 pages of material before each class with three three to five cases, and the professor will call on random people during the class, and it's called the Socratic method. And so you're sitting there, and the professor calls on you, and, and they sometimes it's just, what are the facts of this case? So you say, well, you know, the, the plaintiff uh, fell on, tripped on a, on a banana peel, and, and that those are actually a line of cases that we read in, in torts about banana peel, <laughs> uh, tripping on banana peels and whether the, you know, the store is negligent or, or whatnot. And, but other, other questions you get are you know, based on, you know, be something like based on the holding in this case, which you read last week, how would you apply that concept to the facts in this case? And, and it's, and you're doing it in front of, uh, strangers at first, but then classmates, uh, once you get to know them and, and so everyone is, is staring at you that probably 70 people in a class, you're being asked questions that you had, that you thought you prepared for, but, but 
once you get asked either because it's in front of everyone or because obviously the professor is going to ask you something tricky that, that you have to think on your feet uh, about uh, it's, it's really, it's really a, a different kind of stress. And I, I think coming from the engineering background where, like you're saying, it, it, it's, it's more, here's here, here are the tests you're going to be taking throughout the year. Here's the, the basic, you know, basic through concept uh, or through complex concepts you're going to learn. They're all, they're all going to build on each other and, and you're going to have homework regularly and you'll kind of know how you're doing as you go uh, to go from that to, you have no idea what you're doing. You've never heard of any of these concepts. They have only bearing in the cases that you read and not in a, in a textbook with equations. Uh, it was really intimidating. And I, and I think now what I realize is that it wasn't intimidating because I came from an engineering background. I think no one comes into law school with an understanding of torts or of different contracts law uh, concepts. And, and so I think that can, that can be applied to other graduate programs too, is, you know, or any new things that you do that, that the people around you are probably just as scared as, as you are and feeling uncomfortable as you are. And I think the first instinct for me was to assume that everyone had this deep well of knowledge about all of these things, but it, it only takes a few times to seeing your classmates and yourself get stumped and go totally blank during a class to, to realize that, that you're all in the same boat and you know, law school is, is competitive as well, but also don't hang out with those people and, and you'll be fine. And, and it's kind of how it was in undergrad too, is, is, you know, once you find the people who are just, uh, going through the same thing and, and you can relate to, I guess you can call them friends <laughs> that, uh, that helps a lot. And, and, uh, engineering was hard and I'm glad that I did it. And also because it helped me get through law school and there is some logic to, to the law. And I think engineering really helped, uh, me identify those areas and, and get through them, uh, or muddle through them like everyone else. I think that's, that's an interesting thing. I think when you're talking, thinking about it, like in engineering, we think, uh, you know, we see a problem and I go through a mental Rolodex of here are the equations. Here's the one I apply. Whereas you're kind of talking about here is, here's the, the case in front of us. Uh, now I'm going through a list of everything in the past that I've learned about and similar cases and how it does apply and how that's, how that's gotta be a lot different when you add some more, I'd say maybe subjectivity to it all of it's not just black and white. There isn't necessarily one right answer coming out at the end of this. Uh, it's how everything's applied and how we discuss and logic and, and, uh, and discuss through it. So I, I got to imagine that's at least a little bit of a, of a mental shift in how you're approaching, uh, whether we kind of call, call cases pr problems or not. Um, but yeah, like that, that would just be a totally different thing for me. And I, I imagine it was probably a little bit different getting into the groove of that. Yeah. It's, <clears throat> yeah, it, it, exactly. Going from somewhere where there is an objective answer to a problem to one where there are really good arguments on both sides was something it, that was hard to really adjust to at first because I would kind of agree with the, the last person who, who made a point in class and then the next person would say something and I'd go, oh, that's, that's a good point. And and I think that I see that I see that kind of that logical uh, 
conundrum in my work today. And, and I think a lot of the problems that I deal with have no right or wrong answer. There are riskier or less risky from a legal perspective solutions. But uh, one of the things that I've, I've noticed is that the engineers I work with uh, are, are across the board, great people, but they're also engineers who, who really want the one right answer. And I think trying to explain that there is just a, a continuum of, of maybe legal risk that I'm looking at, but that within that there are any number of engineering solutions or right answers. Uh, it just takes empathy. It, I think from, from my perspective and understanding that the, the engineering mindset, um, but, but also some, uh, just communication about how the law interacts with, with their problem, uh, or with their issue and, and how it it's, it's not always the most satisfying, satisfyingly objective answer that, it, that I end up advising. Um, so that's, I learned that early on that the law is kind of, uh, there wouldn't be any legal problems if everything was black and white. It's, it's all about interpreting those shades of gray. Yeah, I think, you know, so I have my master's in business and, and when I, when I went into that, it, it, I, I went into that and everyone was like, well, business is easy and stuff. But I, what I quickly came to realize is that, but there's so much risk. Like if you take a thermodynamics class, you may be like, wow, there's, we don't really know the equations. They're only maybe 25% accurate. Like that's holy cow. We, we don't really know. But and so engineers, like, they're worried about getting even the correct answer to a to a very, you know, certain precision. But when you start to go away from engineering, I to your point, like, I realized that you start to get into just a hell lot more risk. It'd be almost like if you're an engineer, but your typical safety factors had to be in the thousands or in the hundreds, just because you really had no idea um, on the, the problem you were trying to solve, just because things become unknowable. You know, I mean, it's, it's, there's a million ways this could play out and there's a million people it will affect and there's a million ways it will play out. And you got to look at, you got to look at the percentages and look at the risk and try and evaluate it. And it's not, it's not as cut and dry and you got to be comfortable in that zone. And so one thing I'm taking away from you, Joe, is that you, you're comfortable in that. And if you're listening and you, that sounds super uncomfortable, then maybe that's a clue that this isn't that's super interesting. The other thing, a lot of reading, it sounds like you love, well, I don't know if you love to read, but I hope, I hope you don't hate it because it sounds like there's a ton of reading and reading comprehension. And for me in engineering, I struggled so hard to read the chapters and I could barely comprehend them. And I got through the homework just by like, once I had a problem ahead of me going back in the book and looking at it and stuff. So I, I know I'm bad at that. And so I know I would really struggle with that. Um, but that's good things to take away if you're listening and realizing like what your what type of person are you you know what do you enjoy are you going to enjoy reading a bunch to understand the context and how that's going to fit into your job, um, and it sounds like Joe that's that's where you are today. I mean, I mean I'm curious as to your thoughts on kind of that reflection of you know reading comprehension and and your your I don't know enjoyment of it. Do you, do you find that it is a lot of that and that's that is something that you liked a lot? For sure, yeah that even back in, in, in high school, like I was saying, like my best classes were, were in English and history and, and in law school, I wrote for the student newspaper and did policy research and, and a lot of kind of critical thinking and reading went into that. It wasn't anything like law school. I, my prescription got so much worse after the first year, just from all the late night reading that I had to do. 
and it's it can be a little bit overwhelming i think especially having an engineering mindset of of wanting to order things and law is a lot like that too but you have to really cut through a lot of the extraneous information in in the reading to get to the core of the issue so i think i became a much more focused reader and in understanding for example in a, in a typical case it starts out with a factual factual narrative and it's just this, the story of what happened and then you get into the the actual legal issues and then there's a, a, a general format called irac which is issue rule analysis conclusion okay there's and some engineering i like it we got a system yeah. okay but yeah yeah plug and chug <laughs> <laughs> so you can kind of find, you can, in good writing at least, you can kind of find what the issue is and from that, you know, what, what, what's the, what's the rule, what's the analysis behind it and then what's the conclusion. And that can help in, in any career in profession is you, you get a document, whether it's long or short or complex or simple, but you have information on, on the page or on the screen that you need to distill in some way. And I think both law and engineering has helped me identify what the problem is. You know, it's the engineering side of it, figuring out what the sticking points are, what the, uh, what maybe the unknowns are, and then the law and, and how I think about approaching legal analysis really gets to what are the, what, what do I need to know that I don't know now? And how can I apply what I do know to the to the issue and then the conclusion part is i think the bread and butter of, of being a lawyer every issue is going to be tricky no issue is going to be black and white like we said and the people your client or the, the you know the engineers the agency in my case that's looking for your advice doesn't want to be told that it's hard it, you know they know it's hard because they asked you know the, the legal department to take a look at it and so I guess what I'm saying is you can have all of these elements of, you can understand the problem really well. You can, you can understand the rule, you can understand case law, but if you, if you end up saying, well, I don't know, it's pretty tricky. <laughs> that, that doesn't really get you very far. And I think similar to engineering, having a clear recommendation that's supported by everything that came before it, I think is in, in business too. And I'm sure, and just in life, uh, coming down with an actual conclusion, uh, knowing that you you might be wrong, but also having the being humble enough to accept that if you are wrong or when you are wrong, you can go back and, and take another look at at the analysis, and that you know you just want to be able to get it right in the end. So that's reading comprehension is more technical than I thought it it was, and it really helps me get through really long cases where I don't need to know 95% of the case to do my legal analysis or a 300 page environmental report uh, about a, a site. I don't need to read all of it. I, I can ask the technical expert, the engineer, the scientist, what the actual, what the issue is and, and where I should look. And, and so I think that still comes in handy for sure. In my, in my day-to-day job is just distilling what's in front of me and being able to take what I know or what's on the page and, and analyzing it and then spitting out a, a recommendation. 
you're doing all this reading for law school, but at the same time, uh, you're also working on a master's separately. Is that right? While you're going through this, the law degree and all the reading there wasn't just enough? (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, I'll talk a little bit about how I got into the public policy during law school. And it had to do with work that I did during college, Uh, the environmental policy and research that I was doing with a professor got me, at least helped get me an internship in Washington, D.C. for that gap period between undergrad and law school where I worked on energy policy. And the work that I did there helped me get in touch with a professor who was at the Humphrey School of Public Affairs at the University of Minnesota. And I got in contact with her my first year in law school and said, hey, I've been doing this research on carbon capture and sequestration, which was an interesting bridge of of science and and technology and and law. And so I I said, hey, I've been doing this research. I'd just be interested in seeing if you had any research opportunities. And she did. And I spent uh, three years working on uh, more carbon capture and sequestration and also hydraulic fracturing research. At the time, it was about 2010, that issue had just arisen or became an issue across the country. And, and now, you know, it's a, it, it's widespread and, and, and drives a lot of energy production in the country. So getting that research job, I think planted another seed, Hey, I can get this master's degree in public policy, doing science, technology, and environmental policy. It fits with my interests. It, it, I didn't know it existed before, law school, kind of like law school, you know, I knew it existed, obviously, but I wasn't considering it when I went into engineering. And, and for me, the, the decision to, to pursue that, I, you know, it was, it, it did mean another year of school and, and more loans and, and more reading. And, and, and it was hard the last year when basically all, all of my friends had graduated, but I, I think I, I saw how it fit into my interests and wanted to get a quote unquote softer approach uh, compared to engineering and law to environmental and energy issues. And and public policy is all about storytelling, developing problem statement, looking at alternatives, a lot like engineering actually, but it's doing it through a lens of, of public policy. So adding in layers of, of politics, uh, of, of social science, and and then really analytical uh, research in, into what solutions are going to work for for a given problem. That I think to me that kind of married the 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 law uh, and the engineering part of my experiences, and and I'm really glad that I that I did that uh, did the public policy degree, and I'd recommend people who who want to work in government or who want to work in, in a, the, a, regulated, a regulated industry or a nonprofit or politics to, to look at, at a public affairs school, because I think you get exposed to a really wide range of uh, policymakers. So people who are leading foundations and nonprofits, uh, people in government, leadership roles, you know, the, there's just a wide variety of, of people that who, who are kind of free agents of, uh, you know, a public affairs degree 
draws people from all over, uh, you know, the really technical background to social work to, you know, anything in between. And I think that marrying the technical side to, to the, the public affairs type degree, uh, if, if you want to have the combination of, of engineering and, and maybe not practicing engineering, kind of like, like I did, like, I'm really happy that I pursued that, um, and, and decided to, to take the GMAT after, uh, some time in my one L year, I think. That's great. And I, you know, I think we've talked about this on the show before with the listeners, but this idea of when you're getting a graduate degree, like, what are you going to get from it? And it sounds like even though you were getting a graduate degree, when you were deciding to get a second graduate degree, you went through a similar process. And that's awesome. It's like, okay, what am I going to get from this? It's, I left out, it's going to soften me a little bit. It's going to round me out a little bit more in my area of interest. You also talked about how the, getting that tool is going to help you get a network that could potentially be beneficial in the realm you want to go into. And I think those are great big, big picture takeaways for those listening of, even if you, you know, you can use a second graduate degree to do kind of the same thing. Um, you know, even I don't know, people get their PhD in something, but then get a master's in something else. Like there's different ways to do it. I think it's, it seems to be the most common in like JD, MD arenas to do like master's in public affairs, master's in business type, type stuff too. Um, I don't know. I don't know many PhDs who get a master's in a completely different thing other than maybe business. Um, but it depends, right? Like if you're listening, like what, what could you gain from it and what would that tool give you? And maybe it does make sense in, in your case. Um, and it's definitely an option. Uh, so I think that's awesome. I think that's great. You're able to evaluate that. I mean, it sounds like a little bit of life random choices allowed you to realize the door was open. Um, like, cause that's another thing I like to, to help people realize is you have to be in a place at any given time to realize that something's an option. Like you have to realize that that one, you have to realize that there is a door that you could walk through because yeah, you, you don't sometimes know that that's a possible door. And then two, you also have to walk through it by getting the degree. Um, but it can be equally as hard to realize that there's even a door there to walk through. Um, and sometimes some of that is just life chances, you know, these random, random things, but it's also initiative on your part, Joe, where you're emailing people and just saying, Hey, is there a door here I can walk through? I'm interested. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, cool. There's a door. Maybe I'll, I, th- then I can decide if I'm going to walk through it or not. I um, mean, whether or not it makes sense, but I think that's great. You know, a lot of your story thus far has been a lot of, it sounds like you doing a lot of, a lot of work, uh, you know, kind of behind the scenes trying to figure out what I want to do, talking with people. And I think that's great for those listening. You know, it's a lot of life is kind of random chance. Um, and the more you talk to people and the more you kind of explore, the more chances you'll be able to realize you can take. Um, so I think that's, that's awesome. And it sounds like it's got you to where you are today. And I, maybe a silly question for a, a lawyer to ask a lawyer, but because it's me, um, can you tell me what, what does your day to day look like? I mean, can you walk me through what a typical day is for you and kind of who you're in interacting with? Yeah. Just kind of an explanation of kind of what it's like. Sure. So I'm, I'm a staff attorney at the Minnesota pollution control agency. And so that's the state of Minnesota's environmental regulatory agency uh, in Michigan. It's the DEQ. Uh, so there's, different names for the agency I'm at, but every state has something like, uh, like the MPCA. So I'm a staff attorney. There's six or seven of us, uh, attorneys who are supporting an agency that I think is around a thousand people. And we're split up by 
subject matter generally. And so I have uh, a role supporting the air quality and the remediation groups. And so air and land uh, are my two, my two areas. And, and I think I like being in, having those areas under my, under my belt because it, so much of it is dealing with or working with engineers on you know, air pollution. I mean, that I took, I took that class and, and, uh, or on cleaning up Superfund sites and, uh, understanding groundwater contamination and, and, and everything like that. So my, my day-to-day life, there's a fair amount of meetings that I go to. Uh, I work in an advisory role basically. So very few, if any projects are, are mine. So I'm not going to be working necessarily on something that I'm creating to put out into the world. Uh, I review those or work with program staff uh, as they're creating them. Typical day might be, you know, morning meeting, working on a rulemaking, uh, for example, where we as an agency are developing standards, uh, the same type of standards that I had to try to interpret in, in college at the, at the co-op and or during my co-op. So I'll be meeting with the project team who's actually working on the technical analysis of, of the rule. And part of my job is to make sure that we're following the right process. If there are any questions about the authority of the agency under the law or or an interpretation for the rulemaking, I'll go back and and do some research on that. Uh, Other things I work on are uh, compliance and enforcement. So if a facility has an exceedance on a stack test or in some sort of emission uh, control unit, the agency could take uh, enforcement action. So I'll sit in uh, on those and, and make sure that we're presenting our case basically in, in the most robust way uh, and that we're doing, that we're citing to the right rules and statutes. Uh, so that, that takes up a chunk of my day and that could be anything from an internal meeting to meeting with opposing counsel for the regulated party. And uh, so a lot of meetings um, and also some longer term research projects. If the agency has a, a policy question that they want legal input on to, to understand the options that are available to them, I'll sit there and, and do some research and talk to the program staff and come up with a recommendation. So there's a lot of variety in, in the work I do. And I, and I get to interact with a lot of a lot of projects at very different stages in their life. Uh, so it's either I'm working on cases from the '80s, a lot of Superfund cases where there's contamination from a company that was dissolved 40 years ago. The contamination's still there, and so it's working with property owners, current owners of the property, nearby owners of the property. Uh, if the regulated parties, the responsible person is still around working with them to, uh, to figure out, you know, what they need to do to, to clean up the site. And so it, I get to work with a lot of different projects and a lot of different people from leadership at the agency to opposing counsel, to management, to staff. And so I think one of the skills that has served me is to 
be able to understand both what the issue is. And I kind of talked about this earlier, but you know, if I'm talking to program staff about an issue that maybe like the leadership has an interest in that I'm going to brief them on at a, a separate meeting or something, really getting to the core of what maybe the, the project manager is running into trying to piece out what's a legal issue, what's more of maybe a programmatic or agency issue that doesn't have a legal component. Um, and, and trying to understand what what's actually going on at a at a site, for example, in the groundwater, I, I usually get a much longer answer than uh, than I need for what what does the groundwater look like under the site. It's usually a, you know thirty minutes later, I'll I'll say, okay, great, so it's in it's in Hopkins or something. But I think that interpreting. Uh, and distilling the information again is something that I do. I'm just basically a, a vessel for information and you have to be careful or, or think about how I'm presenting it to the next audience. You started out, I mean, even in our conversation here, start out saying like, you know, in high school, you were interested in some of these environmental things and you pursued that up until now. And now you're getting to, to work in that in an area that uh, sometimes we don't think about when we think about environmental issues and what's going on. Um, but you kind of like you, it, it feels like you had, uh, maybe not completely clear, but an idea of what you wanted to do. And you've been able to, to get there because of, of the desire to work in a specific area, as opposed to working in a specific, um, technical field of that. Are you at the place where, where you're happy with the, the steps that you've gone to get there and feel like, uh, you know, high, high school, you and what you started off with, uh, it would, would be content with where you're at now. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny. I was going through some old school things, and I came I came across an essay from college where I said I'd like to go to law school and work for an environmental agency. <laughs> after that, and I did that, and and that's great. It wasn't a direct route to get there, and and I think maybe that's something that you know listeners might be interested in is. is I didn't automatically get a, a you know, kind of, I guess my, my dream job at an environmental agency right out of law school. I, I started out working in the regulatory department at a natural gas utility and did that because it's an energy issue and, and involved law and regulation. I ran into a classmate from law school who was working at the attorney general's office about six months into uh, working at the natural gas utility and met him for coffee and we had been acquaintances in law school but not really close friends and he was just describing the work he did and and mentioned that he had that they had an opening at the attorney general's office doing uh public utilities law and since some of my background had been in energy i and i was working in the energy field i took the opportunity and i applied and i got it and spent four years at the ag's office representing residential and small business rate payers uh, to try to keep rates low. And I just kept my network open with friends from law school who were working in the energy and environmental law fields. And one of my buddies emailed me and said that there had been an opening at the Pollution Control Agency to be a staff attorney. And he had sent me a few openings from there before, and I didn't apply. It just wasn't the right time. But at that point in October, I think 2018, I, it seemed like it was the right time. And, and I decided to, to apply to the agency and I, and I got the job later the next year. 
yeah, I, I, I think it, it, it hasn't been a direct route for sure, but you know, I always wanted, had kind of a long-term goal in, in mind. And, and I think that that helped me say yes, or no one to say yes and, and no one to say no to opportunities that, you know, working at the AG's office uh, got me experience doing more litigation work and more advocacy work and, and arguing in front of the Public Utilities Commission. And that was a really good experience, but I also, I think, wanted the perspective of working at for the governmental agency uh, and being a regulator. And you never know, really know if the timing is right, but I think early on, at least for me, I've been really open to new opportunities and, and that comes through keeping a strong network, especially when you don't need a job think you know one it's just the the human aspect of it as people you want to have a connection to people uh, especially during these times and and i think networking in every other time yeah it's just a a good way to kind of keep a foot in the door um learn about what people are doing and seeing if it might be something that you'd like to do finding more people to talk to and those have really been drivers for everything i've done in my career is just having just maintaining connections and it takes, it takes work and it, there's not a, a, an immediate payoff other than you can maintain your friends and learn about their lives, which is a great thing. But, but in terms of a, you know, every, when you're not looking for it, opportunities will come up. And I think just being in the right place at the right time and then knowing when to say yes uh, or pursuing an opportunity has been a big part of, of how I've gotten to where I am. Yeah, I think the networking side is great. I mean, because for me, one of the best parts about networking is even just the potential to realize there's a door I didn't realize that ex- that existed before. I had it randomly. When I got my MBA, there was another person who was not really in the program, but we were kind of acquaintances. And he reached out to me like six months ago. I was like, hey, we haven't talked in like five years. I'm just wondering what you're up to. Yeah, you know, can we get on a phone call and just kind of reconnect? And I learned he's, he's doing this cool thing and it's super, and I didn't even realize that was, that was a thing. And I... And we just got back in touch, you know, it had been, what, five, six years. And I don't, I, I got done with the, the call I, before the call. I was like, I don't, I don't know about this. I'm not, I don't know. But when I got done, I was like, this is awesome. Like, why don't, why don't I reach back out to the old, like, cause there's people that you meet that you interact with that you're like, like, I get along with you. Well, like we're, we're of similar interest and those people come in and out of your lives and stuff. And technology today allows us to kind of keep in touch with them, whether it's through Facebook or LinkedIn or whatever, for better or worse, you can always kind of see people posting about their thoughts um, <laughs> for a period of infinity afterwards, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, and on the better side of that is you can stay connected to those people that, you know, who knows, maybe you'll have a door that might interest you at some point. And um, as Pat Bagby said in a previous episode, you know, never say never, because who knows, you know, if someone comes and talks to you and has has a job opportunity they want to explain to you, you know, you might, you might like it. And Joe, I don't know, just one, one my last question for you. Um, in, on the show a lot, we talk all the time about how job descriptions are atrocious in engineering for actually for actually describing what you do every day. Is that also true in law? Are you can can you get a pretty good idea from a job description what your life's going to be like, or is it pretty much not a not a good tell? Uh, I think in law, it is partially the the job description, but I think it's more the type of law and where you're practicing it. So if you're practicing uh, from commercial. context you can pull out exactly there you go yeah so Gosh, I'm <laughs> so the positions are you know it would be like associate yeah. but if you know working as an associate 
at a small firm doing property law, wills and trusts or something in a small town. It's going to be very different than being an associate at a big law firm in the city doing corporate litigation. And so you kind of know what you're in for. I've been lucky enough that the places I've worked at have been a places where work-life balance is really prioritized. And I think um, certainly I know that, that some engineering firms I'm sure are, are the same way. You know, one is the expectation of 80 hours a week or, and the other one might be closer to regular hours. And um, so the, the law is very similar, I guess, in that way. And I've, and you can make a decision to have both a life outside of your work and a fulfilling life at work. Um, but it, it does take some active thought about the opportunities you're considering. And I think more so now than, than when I was in law school, just that, um, you know, the being at the, at the best place might not result in the best life. And I think that, that that's for some people, it, it is the best in, in both instances, but, but I think, you know, as you get older and have different experiences, you kind of learn how to prioritize things. And, and I feel like I've done a decent job of that, but it's, it's a constant struggle. I've had a lot, of, a lot of good experiences grinding at work, but they've also helped me realize that life's short and there'll be plenty of work. No matter how much I get done today, there'll still be plenty more tomorrow. Exactly. Yeah. Sometimes you got to walk out of the office while you think it's on fire and come back the next day to realize it's still there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, so thanks, man. I really, really appreciate you coming on the show. We learned a lot today. I mean, I, th- I think this is just, just such great exposure for those listening um, in many aspects, whether or not, even if you listen to this and you go, I, that doesn't have any interest to in me. Like that's still super valuable. Or if you listen to this, you go, holy cow, like I did not realize that was a door I could even walk through. Um, so I appreciate you, Joe, bringing that option um, up for people so that they can realize what that's like. And if you're interested, how, how you do that and what the steps are like. So thanks for your time and yeah, wish you the best of luck in, in the dream job. <laughs> yeah. Thank you both. Yeah. It's been great having you, Joe. Best of luck. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Man, the things you can do with an engineering degree. I don't know. It's kind of a cool realm that we started to explore in the show where we start to have these other people that are doing other things. Cause I think it speaks to so many of the big themes that we see throughout the show, you know, whether it's just broad critical thinking skills, these other things. And, you know, Joe took that and went into law school, which is great. Um, and I just, I think it's cool to be able to see you can do so much. Well, the, the big example that I love, or that kind of like the framework that I didn't even realize was this, this idea of like a lot of engineering is the how, how we're going to build the car, how, you know, we're going to make the wheels spin correctly and not come off the car, how we're going to, you know, make the hammer do such and such. But there's also the the why side and it can be helpful to have engineering background on the why side too of, you know, why do we need to have these rules in Joe's case, but even in the business case, like why do we make the product? Why does it have these features and not these? And you can use a engineering background to really be beneficial in those why type careers. Yeah, I would say that if you if you focus on the how, you can be a great engineer, but thinking about the why really steps it up a level um, into thinking about yeah, like you said, why are we doing this? What is this? What is the importance of our work? How does this fit into greater things? And that can that can take a lot of uh, different shapes. And of course, law. I wouldn't have thought about law um, going into engineering. Uh, that'd been the furthest thing from my mind. But it's interesting to see how Joe did that, and it's it's really interesting 
to me to see how he started off because he he wanted to work in this environmental space. And so it was, I know engineering from family, I will go do engineering. But then realizing as he's there, my interests lie in something else in, in policy and regulations and law. And there's a might be way for me to do that while still be working in environmental issues. And I think sometimes we forget that there, there are some people who, who are, I'm an engineer, that's what I am, that's what I do, where it's like being the engineer is important. There's other people where it's what they're working on and kind of their, the, the bigger things that are important to them in life that they want to do. And I think it's interesting to see how Joe did that and how he followed a few different paths to actually get there and is able to get to a place where, where he's happy and feel like he's doing meaningful work in it. Yeah. You know, in my episode, we talked a little bit about the idea of mentors and how they can be really, really beneficial and they can help you in a lot of ways. But one thing that's interesting potentially is that mentors can bias you towards something that may not be right. I don't think it really happened with Joe, but I mean, you could say that, you know, maybe maybe the parents being engineers biased him towards engineering, which I don't think was bad for him. I'm not saying that, but that's an interesting thought too of of acknowledging what are your situational biases that are going to pull you to a certain career that may not get you on. So you want to be thinking big picture of where do I want to go and then trying to figure out what are the best careers to kind of get you there. But ultimately an engineering type education can still be very, very applicable to a lot of different careers and beneficial. So, you know, even if you don't know it, it can be a really solid um, thing to start with, but it's really hard. I mean, engineering school is tough. And so it can be really, really hard if you don't think you want to be an engineer if you, yeah, if there's maybe a different path you, you could take, but just an interesting thought. Sorry. I just had about this idea of, yeah. you know, how, how can mentors in your life bias you in maybe a way that's not helpful um, in just being conscious of that. But that's true. That's a good thing to always think about. Think yeah. about if you, if you have a strong why, make sure that the advice you're getting on the how matches up with the why. Yeah. Well, all right, man. Good to talk to you. You too. This is a good one. I'm looking forward to your episode. It's coming eventually. Just be patient. Patience. Patience. Building up suspense for something that may be an ultimate letdown, but we'll see. Perfect. (laughs) All right. See ya. Thanks for listening to this episode of Engineer Your Career with Troy Bauman and Brennan Timrak. For more information about the show, visit our website at eycpodcast.com. There you can find show notes for each episode and get in touch with Troy and I. If you or someone you know are an engineer with an interesting or even not so interesting career journey and would like to be on the show, go on the website, send us a short bio, and we may just invite you to come on and share your story. And finally, if you want to show your support, please rate, review, like, or subscribe to the show on your podcast player of choice.